Welcome to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast, where non-diet nutrition, weight-inclusive care, and integrative health collide. We're your hosts, Dana Montes and Christina Hoyt, licensed integrative clinical nutritionists and body image coaches. And we believe you deserve to have a joyful relationship with food in your body, even if you have a chronic health condition or symptoms that just won't quit. On this show, together and with our guests, we're bringing the real talk, no BS5, with tangible tools to help you pursue health and wellness without obsession or restriction. Remember our disclaimer, this podcast is meant for general information purposes only and should not be taken as a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Welcome to a controversial episode. I know. It is going to be, I, I hope it's not overly controversial because I think the title is going to be kind of controversial, but so we get asked a lot if we're going to be intuitive, certified intuitive eating coaches. And so we wanted to do an episode about why we're not intuitive eating coaches and why we're not going to do the certification program. And there's a lot of reasons why. And I think caveat real quick before we go into it, we want to make it very clear that we're not saying us not being certified intuitive eating coaches is not a reflection of us thinking that intuitive eating is bad or the certification program isn't good or anything like that or any kind of knock against anyone who's an intuitive eating coach. We just don't feel like it's something that's added value to the work that we're going to be doing, the work that we do in order to spend the time, money, effort, all the things to become certified as an intuitive eating coach. And we're going to dive into a lot of the nuances that led to us kind of making that decision and why we created wholehearted eating and our different foundations and prerequisites and the different types of things that we do um, that make us a little bit different from intuitive eating coaches. And we think different in a good way. Maybe some people won't agree and that's fine. We're not your people. (laughs) But um, I think it's important for you guys to know that first off that it has nothing to do with us thinking that intuitive eating is bad in any way, shape or form. We actually think intuitive eating is an incredible incredible foundation for a lot of people who are starting on their non-diet journey. Yeah. And I mean, we're going to get into this later in the episode too, but we firmly believe that the principles of an in- of intuitive eating are a necessary prerequisite to be even able to get to what we specialize in, which is managing chronic health conditions from a non-diet approach. You cannot do that unless you have unlearned the diet mentality, rejected the diet mentality, and basically gone through all of the steps that intuitive eating and the intuitive eating coaches and program teach people how to do. So this is not a knock on intuitive eating. We love it. It's just not what we teach. So I think a lot of one of the things that we hear a lot about and one of the things that kind of make us feel like intuitive eating isn't necessarily for us sometimes. And this is not everybody, but a lot of times we find that there's kind of this non-inclusive intuitive eating world that can happen on Instagram. Like a lot of intuitive eating Instagram type stuff is like diets are the worst, just stop dieting. And we feel like in there and in that kind of Instagram, again, this is like an Instagram snippet, social media kind of toxic world that you get into. And it's not when you look at intuitive eating as a whole, as the foundations, as their book and everything else and what it does, the evidence-based research of intuitive eating is for for um, for recovery and especially with eating disorders and stuff like that. 
But when you go into the Instagram world, which a lot of people, that's their first exposure to intuitive eating. It's not the book. A lot of people have never even read the book um, or know that much about it. But there's a lot of health privilege and kind of thin privilege mixed into that um, that we find to be a little bit non-inclusive and can make people feel like they don't can't sit at that table you know like you can't sit with us or on Wednesdays we wear pink (laughs) kind of vibes and um people who can do that that more of that um eat whatever you want kind of in and I'm going to use intuitive eating in air quotes here because this is a special type of thing that we find is kind of ignoring the fact that there are people out there that have chronic health issues um, and be, they have this privilege to be able to say like, well, why can't you eat this? Or like, why would you ever, if giving up gluten or giving up dairy is inherently restrictive and it's dieting and stop full everything. And that's really toxic for a lot of people. And we find that to be kind of a, like, again, a very exclusive health privileged type of place. And as two people who have chronic health issues and who have celiac disease, um, we didn't find it to be the most welcoming always environment. And it's not enough. Yeah, it's not enough. And a whole I do want to draw piece. attention to the fact that one one of the reasons why we like to distinguish what we do from the intuitive eating um, movement is because intuitive eating has become so popular as happens with every major health um, or food trend is diet culture is going to co-opt it. So you will see a ton of use intuitive eating to lose weight or not from the intuitive eating coaches, right? This is other people who are trying to co-opt the popular language of intuitive eating and take the people who want to do actual intuitive eating and be like, oh, you can do intuitive eating and you can lose weight and you can do this, which is not, if again, if these people who are doing this marketing had actually read or interacted with anything that the actual creators of intuitive eating or the intuitive eating coaches are doing, they would know that uh, those two things cannot exist together. That's not how that works, right? But so since this, we're seeing the, the more popular a movement and a term and everything becomes, the harder it is to control what the actual intention was of that program, right? And what the actual guidelines are of that program, right? So people would he- will hear of intuitive eating and then they basically just like make their own spin on it that has nothing to do with or doesn't jive with or even match with what the actual program is. Mm-hmm. So First pieces of advice in this episode, if you ever see intuitive eating for weight loss, that's some phony shit. Just run the other way. Run. It's like, it, that just tells me that that person has absolutely no idea, idea what intuitive eating is. And the other thing, again, is going back to the actual principles of intuitive eating, right? What Evelyn Trivoli and Elise Resch have created and what the intuitive eating coaches are doing for the most part is a lot of the jumping off points and a lot of the prerequisites for what we do in our work, right? Like you cannot do truly a non-diet approach to managing chronic health conditions unless you have done a lot of the unlearning that intuitive eating teaches you how to do when you're going there directly from dieting. But 
another one of the things that like Christina was saying that we get really annoyed with as practitioners and this is very clickbaity which is why it gets so shared is a lot of what is shared not even by the intuitive eating coaches but people who kind of group themselves into this intuitive eating community just trying to capitalize off the popularity of the movement is basically just like diets are the worst am I right and people are like oh my god yeah diets are the worst 100 million likes and everything it's like okay great but now what even from an intuitive eating coach's perspective okay that's awesome that you're there but how do you unlearn the diet stuff and then in our case, if you have symptoms that are popping up, if you had or have an eating disorder, if you have a chronic health condition or an autoimmune disease, that can feel very exclusive because it's like, because it's like but, but this isn't working for me. The just eat whatever you want doesn't work for me. And then there's a lot of stuff that can come in of that we've talked about on previous episodes where it's like, you feel like you can't fit in with intuitive eating because there are people who are gatekeeping and girl bossing and flying too close to the sun in there who are like, you don't belong in intuitive eating if you don't want to eat gluten or if you can't eat gluten. or, And this is very evident in very specific people's books yeah, in the I, anti-diet movement. Yeah, and I will say too, one thing that's interesting also that makes it kind of frustrating as well is that we're they're cool with us because we actually have celiac disease. So it's like, that's always the caveat that's in there is like, unless you have celiac disease. Or a food allergy. But those are the only two things. Those are the only two things. And to me, I feel like as someone who works with people with severe eating disorders, what happens if you have a severe eating disorder and an autoimmune disease? How do we navigate that? How do we support that person? How do we undo some of those things so they can feel like they don't have to be overly restrictive and all the different pieces of that. And how do you meet them there? And I feel like sometimes in that kind of toxic environment that Dana is describing is that there's not a place for them. So they feel like, well, I can't intuitive eat, so I can't really recover from my eating disorder because I can't do certain things because I have this autoimmune disease. So then where do I go? Where do and I the go? logical do conclusion I do? is they go back to the elimination diets they just, designed they, to manage their health condition. And so but they, they don't want to be there anymore. Yeah, they stay there instead and they don't have a place to go. And so one of the things that me and Dana felt really, really passionate about when we started down this definition of defining what it is that we do and marrying these two things that we care a lot about, about being non-diet and also being able to help people manage chronic health conditions in a non-restrictive way is being that place for people to land, for them to come to and say, okay, how do I recover from this? And at the same time, how do I understand more deeply what's going on with my health and what's going on with these chronic health issues that I'm having? And in a way that I can be, that I can really feel supported and not feel like it's all in my head. And I think sometimes that can be a narrative that's out there um, that I find to be incredibly damaging and really isolating for people who are really struggling. Um, And so that's, part of the reason why to us we feel like there's there's like this difference between giving people permission to to um to eat anything and to un unlearn food rules and dieting which is what intuitive eating is about it's about giving permission and taking the morality out of food that's what it's about versus someone saying to you well if you don't have this then 
you can't do anything, even though it's evidence-based clinical nutrition work and nutrition therapy, you're still dieting. And I think that's where we get kind of this place of, that's a really toxic place. Not all <laughs> certified intuitive eating coaches are like that. So we, that's why it's really important us to, to make in the very beginning that 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 doesn't mean that we don't appreciate and like what intuitive eating does and the foundations that it can really set and really create a really great um, starting off point and stage for people. But when it gets kind of twisted is where we kind of get, ooh, ee, ah, <laughs> about it. And to understand this more, let's go a little bit behind the scenes, right? Like, and we had talked about this in a previous episode. When you go to a practitioner with a certain set of goals, you also have to understand what their training is and then how they can help you based on the philosophy of that training or what they've learned, right? So when we look at a lot of people who are intuitive eating coaches, right? Many of them are either classically trained RDs, dietitians, right? Or integratively trained nutrition practitioners or medical practitioners who then become intuitive eating coaches, which one is freaking great for unlearning a lot of the toxic stuff that a lot of us are learning in nutrition school or dietetic school or your internship, right? Which is very focused on like health equals weight. And here's how to do an elimination diet for a specific health condition. Or here's how to put people on a specific macronutrient or calorie plan for type 2 diabetes or something like that, right? It's very, if this, then that. What it doesn't take into account is the relationship with food, the body image, and how a lot of these elimination diets and other plans, while they are designed to help people with their health, right, or help them with symptom management, can feed into these really toxic patterns, which lights up your nervous system and can probably make your symptoms worse and definitely makes your relationship with food worse, right? So while they're unlearning all of that, one of the things that tends to happen is when people go through these intuitive or the intuitive eating program or when you become you know more intuitive eating minded is the first principle of intuitive eating is to reject the diet mentality so then what tends to happen is when we as practitioners really dive into intuitive eating we tend to then feel like every since most of the stuff that we have learned in school is from a weight loss and dieting focused lens we group it all together and we're like, throw that out. Take it in the garbage and light on fire, right? But then all that you're left with is the principles of intuitive eating, which do not teach you how to manage chronic symptoms, chronic health conditions, autoimmune disease from a non-diet, non-restrictive approach. This is something that Christina and I had to learn from school unlearn and then relearn of how can we take some of the things that we have learned in school based on the principles of applied nutritional biochemistry and physiology, which are neutral, how can we apply that in a non-diet way? Or how can we do this and help our clients unlearn dieting principles or the all or nothing mentality with elimination diets at the same time, right? And marrying that is really freaking complicated. And there are not courses out there that we are aware of, unless you count our podcast as a course, right? <laughs> where nobody's teaching practitioners how to do this, right? And when we first kind of stumbled upon this, and we stumbled upon it because 
a bunch of our clients were like, we're seeing all these health issues. They're not getting better with the elimination diets. We're having all these relationship with food issues and body image and everything. It's like, well, how, how can we help people feel better without going back to dieting? How can we help people feel better and work on their body image and work on their relationship with food and manage an autoimmune disease or chronic health conditions? We basically had to figure out how to create that for ourselves. So again, this is not something that's widely taught or even like taught at all. So of course, the people who have gone from a classically trained dietetics program, an integrative nutrition program, and then gone through the intuitive eating program don't have the tools to go farther than reject the diet mentality and take them through the principles of intuitive eating because no one's teaching them how to do that. Yeah, and I think another layer too to think about, I think it comes down to the ways in which that we interact with our oath of do no harm and the way that other practitioners can interact with do no harm. So I describe this sometimes even with like eating disorders in like a level of triage, right? So, and it can go from different places, right? And I'll explain everything. So there's levels of triage, right? So there is a point where when someone is really chronically ill, right? where you would maybe need to integrate a more harshly do-no-harm approach when it comes to nutrition interventions, right? I'm thinking about clients of mine who are, you know, anorexic or severely autoimmune compromised or really severely diabetic and we're, we're at this point or there's a lot of stuff going on clinically that you have to act immediately into their, their immediate health and care, their immediate long-term health and care, and then immediate thing. There's a level of triage there, right? And so when Dana and I look at that, then there's levels of triage based off of like a whole spectrum of things of saying, okay, how far down the triage level are they? Are they at this place where their immediate health and safety is at major risk? Okay, I'm going to do my, I'm going to honor my oath of do no harm from a very different perspective than I would in different types of cases, right? I want to make sure that we're not doing any harm. I want to make sure if they have kidney issues that we're, ma that we're managing certain types of things. I want to manage if we're at the place when they're, when they're having um, really severe diabetic symptoms that we're managing things from a very specific, very clear nutritional therapy type of approach, right? And that's very important because we want to think about it from that level of triage. The interesting thing too is that as things kind of loosen up and we're maybe we're further along and not as deep in the new in the in the triage level, the the room for for navigating do no harm loosens up, right? And so you can look at it from a little bit of a different perspective. And one of the things that me and Dana find to be really important when we look at do not do no harm is the long-term effects of some of the triage type approaches to medical interventions, like nutritional medical interventions for, for chronic health symptoms and how that affects the long-term relationship with food, body, the way they interact with food and stuff like that. Some nutritionists and some people out there who are clinically trained think of do no harm as immediate, have to do it. This is how we handle that. Like Dana's saying, here's this health condition. This is the only way to handle it. This is how we're going to take care of it. Boom, boom, boom. Whereas Dana and I look at do no harm as a long-term piece too. That's really important to us in thinking about, because we know what it's like from a personal level of looking, <laughs> looking at things from too much of a triage, doing too much elimination, doing too much stuff too early on can have long-term harm to someone's mental, emotional, and, and quite frankly, their physical state too. 
And so when we look at the triage level and that spectrum, we are able to assess with our clients, where do they fall in this triage? Where does the do no harm hit for us right now? And when we think about it, when we have a lot of the clients that we have, we have the space and the time to think more long term. And so we do. And so we apply our do no harm in a much more long-term minded approach of how can we undo the diet mentality? How can we reject that from, from certain pieces? And what pieces from our medical nutrition training can we take and bring forward in the most non-restrictive, most promoting way for that individual and bring that evidence-based research forward? And I think that's an interesting way of kind of thinking about it, that that is a really important to us thinking about it from that spectrum of there are cases where even Dana and I were like, no, we have to hit this a little bit harder guys. <laughs> like, because it is about honoring that oath of I'm not going to do any harm. And what level, where are we on the harm spectrum? How harmful can one, one thing that we do be for that person? Yeah. And, you know, speaking of a spectrum in this, and we talk frequently about the spectrum of like hardcore dieting to like anti-diet or, you know, um, intuitive eating or anything like that. This is kind of a different spectrum of where we fall, where there's functional and integrative medicine and nutrition very far on one side where it's like this elimination diet for this specific health condition and, you know, everything like that. And then on the other side is like, more of the intuitive eating, just completely reject the diet mentality and, you know, what can feel like and what is marketed sometimes as nutrition doesn't matter, even though we know that's not actually what intuitive eating is, right? But this is sometimes how it shows up on Instagram. We fall in the middle of those two, right? How can we take those evidence-based nutrition principles and use them in an add-in, non-all or nothing, non-restrictive way and help people also heal their relationship with food and their body image by taking some of the principles from intuitive eating, like reject the diet mentality, call out the food police, body respect, body acceptance, you know, a lot of this stuff. And this, it, what we do is really a marriage of those two principles and those two modalities by basically taking what we like from each one <laughs> that we've seen works really, really well with our clients and especially people who feel like they don't belong in either of those camps. And I think that's where a lot of times we'll see people coming to us that are clients who have said, okay, I've stopped dieting, but now what? And a lot of times they don't, um, they'll find intuitive eating coaches in some ways that don't really fall into that, that middle, that middle ground or, they're, they're more early on in the stage of rejecting the diet mentality and they aren't heavily coaching people on the other princi principles of gentle nutrition. And so we'll see that come up sometimes where clients will say, well, now I don't really know what to do. And because a lot of it is because they've done it on their own. And maybe if they worked with an intuitive eating, certified intuitive eating coach, they would understand now the now what piece. But sometimes what can happen is since those classically trained dietitians or things like that may not understand the integrative approaches for some of those things because they simply didn't have the training the same way that we don't have the same training that they did in certain areas that are vital, play vital roles too, that we would have to then refer to them and they refer to us. And so that's where, like, what if I do have a chronic health condition that I'd like to manage 
the most that I can with nutritional interventions? Um, and how can I do that without necessarily saying that I have to give up every single food in order to do that? It's a different specialty, right? So let's let's give an example. So it's very, very common for people who come from a chronic dieting background or elimination diet background, disordered eating or eating disorder to have a lot of GI issues resulting directly from those behaviors that they had engaged with and or something else. Can be something else as well, right? They then also may be sick and tired of these elimination diets and chronically dieting and all of that other stuff and they want to move towards an all foods fit approach. So we go to the intuitive eating, the actual intuitive eating mentality, right? The way that it was designed to be. But those people most likely are going to find due to changes in their gut bacteria, their stomach acid availability, digestive enzymes, and a lot of the other things that we talk about here. The all foods fit approach is not going to work for them, most likely, because the way that their digestive system is set up currently as a result of previous disordered eating behaviors are not going to work well with eating all of the foods, which is kind of that makes them feel like they're in no man's land because they're like well I can't even do the first principle of intuitive eating because I'm eating all these things but now I feel even worse like what am I supposed to do and if they're working with something someone like an intuitive eating coach who's probably doing a great job but if that person doesn't also specialize in gut health they're kind of like I don't know what to do next and this is a great great opportunity for us to work together synergistically with an intuitive eating coach. Because then you can work on unlearning the diet mentality and unlearning all of these rules and working on your body image, which we do as well, right? But then we can also really hone in on the clinical piece of how, how do we do this from a non-diet approach? How do we do this from a non-restrictive approach? And we have also a whole episode talking about this, of how to manage chronic health conditions without food restrictions. So we will also link that in the show notes. But again, we're not knocking on the real intuitive eating coaches here because they are doing a great freaking job. Yeah, I think also too, another thing to add in, it's not necessarily that they that, that individual always, be, that they can't get there with intuitive eating principles because eventually maybe their stomach acid would replenish and things like that and things would start to work more functionally. The problem is that we see is they end up leaving too soon because they have such deep physical symptoms that are inhibiting them from really wanting to embrace it and thinking like this isn't available to me. And so when you can kind of bring those two things together and say, okay, we know that the damage of long-term dieting and severe restriction can do from a, from a nutrient assimilation standpoint, absorption of nutrients, all the different things that, that make us have a lot of these GI function, like GI dysfunction that are heavily associated with eating disorders, right? And disordered eating patterns. That's part of the equation. But how can we take the training that we have from integrative clinical nutrition and bring some of those tools to them to help kind of bridge the gap in the meantime while we work on that so they can have more digestive um, respite and more relaxation and be able to have that little breath of fresh air to make them feel like they have the capacity to have 
rejecting of the diet mentality and have a more all foods fit approach to them. And I think that's where it becomes kind of like this really pretty song and like this little like dance between the two things is, okay, we know that this can play a big role. But as I say to my clients, it's often a yes and thing. Like, yes, your dieting behaviors have done this. But there's probably also if we get underneath the hood and do some integrative clinical testing and look look beyond that, there's probably stuff that has happened as a result of multiple functions of different types of things that have led to a perfect storm where your body needs support in different ways too. And if you don't get that support at the same time, it can feel like intuitive eating isn't available to you. So that's why Dan and I feel like it's so important to take those two things and say, okay, how can I bring these two together, bridge that gap, create the create the experience for the person who's who's going through all this and say, hey, it doesn't have to be this tough. It doesn't have to be this bleak. We can bring in resources to calm your system down, support your system so that more foods are available to you ultimately. Because we get into this place when we're chronic, when we're managing chronic health symptoms that we feel like the restriction is the only way to manage it. And really those protocols, even if you look at those originally in our training, are meant to only be for short periods of time. And then you're supposed to increase and bring all the foods back in. The problem is people don't stick around long long enough for that to happen or practitioners say, okay, now this is where you're supposed to be forever. And our goal is for you to have the most functional system possible with the least amount of restriction all at the same time. And that's where that marriage really comes from. And it's complicated and it takes time to get there. But those two things together can make it feel much more accessible to people who have a lot of chronic health issues or symptoms or GI issues or, and just feel like, I can't wait it out. I can't wait it out rejecting um, and letting all foods fit because I feel so physically ill. It impacts my everyday life and that can feel really inaccessible. One thing that we have said on a previous episode that I think distinguishes what we do, which we've kind of been talking around it, we're going to talk a lot more about it, which is intentional eating versus intuitive eating, is in intentional eating and wholehearted eating, which is, hello, the name of the podcast, plug, plug, haha. But with what we do, all foods are given the opportunity to fit. That doesn't mean that if all foods do not fit because garlic and onions give you disaster pants, that doesn't mean that you're failing at recovery. That just means that right now at this season of your life, there is something that is going on that we need to do some deeper digging to see why isn't that food fitting right now. Or if it's something like celiac disease, you better not be telling that person to eat gluten. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Not without doing the due diligence of finding out whether or not they actually have celiac disease or not right? Or finding out whether or not they do have markers for for gluten sensitivity or having like the same way that we wouldn't tell someone to eat peanuts if they have a peanut allergy. You know, like there's a lot of different layers to that. And that kind of comes into the do no harm. If someone is having a lot of the symptoms of something of a lot of digestive distress, wouldn't we be doing our job by looking into the the root cause of where that might be coming from and looking for sources for where that might be happening in order to support that person so that they can get the treatment and support that they need 
so that they can make intentional and thoughtful food choices around how to support their unique body. Because my body is totally different than than Dana's body, than someone else's body, and the things that work for me are not the same as other people. And so taking blanket, eat whatever you want, we're, di- we're rejecting dieting, and blah, 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 it's just not it's just not taking in the full picture of how different and complex each body is and how each body takes in different things. And so that's where it's so important to to think about it in that that realm of, I look at it from the realm of do no harm, right? Of thinking about what is here? What is this person's body telling us that we need to dive deeper into and get a better understanding of so that we can support them so they can feel their best? And not just remove every single food and not just say, oh, it's the opposite of that. This is just dieting behaviors you need to let go of. Maybe it's both. Maybe there's a mixture of the two things. And there's where that like that like really happy gray area that Dana and I live in a lot that (laughs) that we talk about all the time. But that's where that is. And so how do you then get to that place where you can get intentional is by understanding where you're about what the language of your unique body is. And we have to do the data and get the information in order to understand where it's coming from. Right. Because one of the things that really, really pisses us off is whether it's intentional or not, because sometimes it is not intentional. But I have heard from a lot of clients and people that sometimes it feels like there is this aspect of gatekeeping in the community where it's like, you're not fully recovered or you're not fully intuitively eating if your body can't handle this food or if you choose not to eat this food. And not because of a dieting perspective, but the people who are doing the gatekeeping can only view that as a dieting um, component, right? Let's say, which makes it feel like Again, whether it was intentional or not, this is the sentiment that these people have that they have expressed to us is, I feel like I can't be fully recovered or I feel like I am cannot fully belong to this intuitive eating or whatever the name is community if I don't eat all of the foods. And that's not something that we are okay with. Yeah, I'm not okay with that. I'm not okay with being able to say, like, there's... Um, a narrative that I that I've heard a lot from several people, especially my um, eating disorder clients, where they feel like they're not recovered if if a food that they previously restricted is available and then they don't eat it. So kind of like you're not recovered if you don't eat the donuts if they're available if you previously restricted donuts. And to me, that completely takes out the that's not true intuitive eating to me. Because true intuitive eating is being able to turn in intuitively, listen to what your body's asking for, asking what your body is craving and what it's desiring. How do you marry those two things, which we call intentional eating? So like, where do you bring the intention into the intuitive, right? How do you bring intention into the recovery? I don't have to eat donuts to prove that I'm recovered at every single time that donuts are available. I can make intuitive and intentional choices about how I'm going to interact with donuts, how I'm going to interact with all types of foods. That's freedom. That's freedom. That to me is what that is. Not saying I have to do this because otherwise I'm not recovered 
is gatekeeping, judgmental, and quite frankly, shitty for people who are in recovery. It's not fair. They can't carry that narrative forward for the rest of their lives. When do they finally get to breathe and be able to have the reciprocal relationship with food and their body that they desire, that they wanted for so long, that they fought really hard to break through all the barriers of their own eating disorder or disordered eating patterns to get to that place. And then for it to be said is like Dana mentioned is gatekeeping that you're not, you can't sit at this table unless you eat the donuts that are available. If you previously restricted donuts is bullshit. Not fair. Never going to call it out, mom. (laughs) Never. This is for every single one of my eating disorder clients. (laughs) I am fighting for you in your advanced recovery work because it is true. Like that's what happens. Like that's, it's, And I'm not, there is a huge difference between giving permission to eat the donuts and saying you're not recovered if you're not eating them. There is a, that is a totally different thing. And I believe wholeheartedly that saying donuts are fine. It's safe for me to eat donuts. I can eat donuts if I want to. And knowing that donuts aren't bad, removing that morality around them or whatever it is, And then also saying at the same time, not right now. I'm not in the mood for that. That to me is true, intuitive, intentional eating to me being married together in like a really beautiful way. Well, being able to have the headspace to make that decision without any external factors or shoulds coming in is the true freedom to me and to us. Yeah. Absolutely. And the thing that I see a lot in this, we're kind of talking about advanced recovery work. One of the things that I see a lot that happens, and I know um, other practitioners probably feel this too, is that most eating disorder clients were never taught actual nutritional basics from a neutral lens that their body needs as a baseline. They were never taught that in recovery because of that level of triage that we talked about earlier. The triage that they go through is restoration of weight if you're anorexic, stopping bulimia if you're bulimic, or stopping binging if you have binge eating disorder. They don't talk about their long-term relationship with food and how you marry those two things and providing that neutral nutrition education so that you can go really confidently to the cafeteria or to the restaurant or to the table or make your meals and be able to feel like you can navigate what does my body need And also at the same time, how do I not restrict foods if I'm desiring them? Or how do I not attach morality to that at the same time? Because of the level of triage. And so that's where, to me, that's where it's advanced recovery work is because we have to get to that place where our body is stable enough in order to do that work. But then afterwards, there's a whole world out there of understanding the neutral nutrition education, how do I do that? How do I provide that to my body? How do I understand what I need to eat to support myself on a cellular level? And at the same time, how do I marry what I, what um, I previously restricted and not having morality around those foods and allowing them to also fit at the table at the same time? Yeah, so when we talk about intentional eating, which is figuring out how to do exactly what Christina just said. Again, the principles of intuitive eating are like a prerequisite for this. You cannot do intentional eating without rejecting the diet mentality and going through unlearning 
all of these very dogmatic nutrition principles, which really are not nutrition principles. They're just weight loss Mm -hmm. principles is what they are, right? That's been co-opted. Nutrition's been co-opted by weight loss. Yes, 100%. And so what is intentional eating, right? Now we're going to go into like, what is this? And like, what does it actually look like? Because we've been talking around it a lot, but we want to make it very succinct for you guys, or not succinct because we are not succinct on this podcast, right? But (laughs) clearer, right? And so when I think of this, it's basically like advanced intuitive eating, right? Mm-hmm. Or Intuitive Eating Plus. There's there's all of the streaming services out of a plus now, right? This is the one you have to pay for, basically. So it's where intentional eating is where we are bringing neutral, clinical, meaning evidence-based, research-backed nutrition into the equation in a neutral way. Again, I'm going to say it's like 78 times, which allows for the potential for chronic illness or symptom management with food in a non-restrictive add in integrative and holistic way, which means looking at the entire person as a whole and all of the different systems synergistically, right? From a root cause approach, not a Band-Aid approach. And this allows us to base food and eating choices in a way that is attuned with your body's signals, needs, and desires without judgment or control. None of that dieting shit in here, none of the shoulds, none of the rules, none of this nothing, right? But again, you have to be able to unlearn those rules and become more neutral around food before we can even think about, okay, well, how how can I use nutrition in a way that helps me manage the symptoms that I have? Because otherwise, it just becomes another diet. Mm-hmm. And how do I then understand what does my body need on a biochemical, what neutral way of like, what's the basics What are the basics of what my body needs? Instead of just using that education to normalize certain foods, why don't we provide the education of understanding of here's what my body needs, here's why it needs it, here's how it's going to function with this, and then removing all of the crap around the other foods and saying, hey, you don't have to feel this way about it. There doesn't have to be any judgment or control around it because that's where the reason why we create judgment and control around certain foods is because of our body image. So if we are using the principles and the prerequisites of intentional eating and intuitive eating principles like body neutrality, we're going to be able to come at this from a more non-judgmental, non-controlling way. And that's more advanced. It takes time to get there because you have to undo all the other stuff. Sometimes synergistic, whoa, can't say that word today, synergistically. (laughs) And then also, I did it. (laughs) Or also separate and building up to intentional eating. So those are things too. Like sometimes I'll say to clients of mine, we're not there yet. We're not ready to play around with some of these foods. We need to do this other work first and we'll get there. We're going to get to that place. But in the meantime, we have tools and support in order to turn the body system down and have it be more supportive until we can get to that place so that you can feel like you can get there. And to be abundantly clear, this does not mean that we as clinicians are going to turn you away as a potential client if you are not ready to do intentional eating yet. We will meet you where you are and help you get to that place, right? I want to make that Super clear. Yeah, I mean, I wouldn't be working with people with active eating disorders 
<laughs> if that were the case. So, um, because they're not ready for intentional eating yet, but we're building the foundations while we're working on their, on their eating disorder to get them to the place where they have that long-term recovery that they're really looking for. So it's, it happens all at the same time as foundations can happen together. All right, friends. So to recap, we're not knocking on intuitive eating or intuitive eating coaches, right? What we do is an advanced recovery tool, we would say, which is the major difference between intuitive eating and intentional eating, and which is a part of wholehearted eating. Haha, <laughs> again, plug for the podcast, right? But as we mentioned, there are a lot of additional resources, other episodes where we have talked about this philosophy and what it actually looks like in practice with different specific health conditions and stuff like that. And we have had some bomb episodes with intuitive eating coaches on the podcast that we will also link in the show notes because everyone has a great, unique story and a unique way of teaching different things. And these people are freaking awesome because again... We're not knocking intuitive eating coaches. Amen. Amen to that. <laughs> All right. We'll see you next week. <laughs> this is where my Who social- knows what we'll talk about next? <laughs> Who knows what's coming up next? But uh, stay tuned. <laughs> next week, we follow our heroes to be continued. I need to stop. <laughs> oh, I haven't stopped the recording yet. friends, it's Dana, and thanks for listening to the Wholehearted Eating Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with your family and friends, subscribe so you don't miss an episode, and if you can, we would absolutely love it if you left a five-star rating and review wherever you listen to podcasts. This helps spread the word so more people can find the show and learn how to break out of diet culture, the body image spiral, and find a more peaceful relationship with food in their bodies with wholehearted eating. If you're interested in learning more about how you can work with me or Christina for one-on-one nutrition counseling or checking out our self-paced courses, head over to wholeheartedeating.com, and we'll see you again here next week.